life didn't exist for me. Like I wasn't like I wasn't alive before the pandemic. There was a bunch of stuff that happened before the pandemic, and that's great. You know, I mean, it's like, but it's just the prologue to like who I'm becoming and what I am, and like that's that's. But that's almost like you know arrogant speak. It's it's like you know it's just living. It's like actually taking agency of your life and saying. Forget the past. Forget the future. What is it right now? This very second. What makes me happy right now?、Uh, and being in that moment every single day, even if you don't know what the next moment's going going to be. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to the Ramble Room. I'm your host Ransom, and as I always say, this is a safe place to ramble. My guest today, Mr. Clay Reed, is a writer, a producer, a thinker, and a pioneer. He loves to explore the bleeding edge of what's coming next with an open mind, and he's always looking to harness the emerging technologies and ideas to tell stories and empower other storytellers. We've been friends for years now, but I'm always discovering new things whenever I talk to him. Whether it's about him or about this strange new world that's coalescing around us, in other words, this is going to be fun. Clay, man, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm well. That was a sweet, sweet intro. Thank you.、Oh, it's it's from my heart, man. You know, right on. Love hanging out. Love talking. You're always expanding my mind.、Mm. So first, I want to say thank you for just like giving me a space to do this, a safe space to do this. Totally.、Uh, I was unbelievably nervous, dude. I was like,、oh, um, I could not. Like, I would, I would be for the past three days. I've been just focusing on like stuffing information into my head, writing stuff down while I'm running, like imagining myself, like talking to you, and like you know, trying to make it natural as if you're performing something. Oh, that's、um, weird, right? That part of it's weird. It's true. It is, and then the second I get there, everything just falls out of my head. You know? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> so. So,、um, but this, you know, I mean, I personal assessment aside, you know,、uh, I've been trying to kind of create a safer space so I can be, so I can engage and not completely fall apart. But like, yeah, it's something that's difficult for me, and I know that I need to do more of.、Um, so, I mean,、um, I don't know how this episode is going to turn out. If it turns out well. Then, 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 thumbs up.、Uh, I can't believe I'm going to let anything I said today out into the world. Like that's almost a really scary thought. That,、yeah. frankly, I have to lean into. I've got to、mm-hmm. lean into like these scary places in order to, to like actually become to grow. So I, I just wanted to say thank you for staying with me and、uh, and giving me this this place to to do this. Thank you very much. Dude, it's going to be good, man. Looking forward to it. So as we always do, we like to start with the the big question: What are you up to in your life right now, and、uh, what's the story of how you got there? Okay,、um, <laughs> this is probably the toughest question anyone could ever ask me right now. <laughs> That's why we put、uh, it right up top, man. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So、um, this is a really tough question for me right now、uh, in my life because I'm coming from a place of like.、Um, Security and assurity, and like this, this, this place of like comfort. And during the pandemic, I kind of、um, everything changed during the pandemic. It was like it was the the singular point of transition from like one version of myself to like leaning into a new version of myself.、Mm. Um, and、um, 
I'm not there yet. I haven't fully um, landed in this new place yet. And so that's why it's difficult because, you know, when you're talking about something that you've completed, maybe it's a film or a script or something, you know, you can say, this is what I've done and this is all the work that I've put into it. And here's the final product. And isn't it nice and shiny and beautiful? And can't you check it out? But like right now, I'm in the midst of it. I'm like in the fog, sort of say. So, um, so to contextualize what we're going to talk about, I guess it's kind of like this is how I feel. I feel like I'm moving from, like I'm moving from uh, a place of familiarity into a place of the unknown, and I'm in the middle of the journey. So I don't even know. Like when you leave a city, like you leave New York on a trip, and you go to Los Angeles, there's a path and there's a way to get there, and you actually really know where that what it is like you're going toward Los Angeles and if you get lost along the way you're able to say hey do you know which way Los Angeles is or you can look <laughs> yeah. at a map or you can hit the GPS and even take a detour um, to get there but I don't necessarily know where it is I'm headed right now and that's a wild place to be so uh, that's the feeling that's like the, the the general feeling that I'm trying to contain often um, and so it's difficult to describe because it's not a traditional, it's not the traditional resume. Like I can't just rattle off, here's my credits and here's where I'm headed and this is what I want. And here's a, you know, a statement that, uh, you know, of the path that I'm going on and here's the, here are the moments along the way and this is where I'm at. So, so yeah, so that's, that's, that's the general feeling and it's like a day-to-day -day process, uh, but it's exactly what I chose. Uh, it's exactly the thing that I wanted to do. Uh, which is be more present and be in the moment and uh, be be dealing with what I want to be dealing with on a daily basis. Um, so, so yeah. So, so what is this? Well, I don't, I can't give you a, a clear indication <laughs> as to what it is, but I know it's in a direction, and you know the direction, and I think mm. many artists know the direction that I'm headed. It's like when you begin. So I'm taking this drawing class, and like yeah. you know, when you begin, you can see if you're doing like a still life, you can see what it is, right? And you have methods to actually drawing it and creating a three-dimensional space. But like when you're drawing from your mind, it's, it's almost like you kind of like begin and then you see where the drawing takes you. And that's where I'm at. I'm not in the other place, the secure place. I'm in this, this, this place over here, like moving from my mind. So um, this began, this crazy, wild, unexplainable journey began in the pandemic. Um, and I think a lot of people would have a similar story. But I've told you this story before, and it's, you know, the pandemic uh, on the outside was this was this deadly, deadly virus, this thing that was like all around us and uh, unknowable. But for me, it was literally some higher being saying, stop right now and think about what's going on in your life. Mm. It was a, a pause button on everything. And I realized that I was going like super fast. I was going down. Um, um in a direction a tunnel that was like i saw the light at the end of the tunnel but i wasn't really like you know those dreams where you like your feet are like spinning under you and you can't really get to the end of that tunnel yeah. um I, it was like that realization it was a simultaneous realization of like i i'm not necessarily i'm not necessarily happy in the job that i'm performing like the day to day um and i also realized that uh, doing this job that I'm unhappy doing will not actually get me to the other side. It's not going to get me to the out the tunnel. Um, it's not going to get me to do what I what I want to do, which is just be creative. Um, so you know, the pause button was hit, and um, 
I just, <laughs> I began to stop first and think about what is it that I do want. Uh, I stopped taking, I stopped doing the job that I'd done for uh, 10 years. I stopped doing um, the, I stopped doing a job that I have a master's degree in. I stopped, uh, you know, hanging out with people that I, and working on a daily basis with people that I, that I'd known for 10 years. And that was like a really big shift. Um, you know, uh, it's like almost going from a major, like a, like a big network of people that you're constantly keeping in contact with, working with, et cetera, earning money with, making bonds with. And, but like, and then it just stops. What happened for me was this cocoon phase. And I'm like, I don't want, I'm, I'm not running from it so much as I'm saying, I want to run in a different direction. I want to like, actually, um, I want to create. And this job is not allowing me to create, but also there's the fear of like saying <laughs> you have no resume to create. You have no, you have, you haven't ever created. You don't have a background in creation and, and, but you love it. And, and then, you know, I started thinking about, I read this great quote last night on Pinterest and you know, when you're a kid, uh, kids are naturally creative. That's um, right. Right. So, so like you hand them a box of crayons and they like know immediately what to do with them. Right. As soon as they get the mechanics, which is very simple, they pick it up. It's like they move it on a piece of paper. And so and, and, and then and then you move into other classes, which are very important, like but they're pretty but they're not so, so creative, like algebra and calculus and the sciences and whatnot. And these are very important for your, for your success in life particularly your financial success and survival on life. And, and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I, which I will get to that in a second too. Oh, but, yeah. uh, but you know, like, you know, and then, and then later in life you hit a, you hit something, you hit a hobby like painting or you know, a hobby like writing or whatever. And you're like, Oh yeah, I remember when you gave me the crayons. I remember what it was like, you know, and that was part of, what the pandemic was like, you know, the world said stop, and I got a, I got handed a box of crayons, um, and I didn't want to give them up. <laughs> I didn't want to give them it. up. I love it. I love it, man. Yeah. When yeah. I left, you know, so uh, so I did a bunch of stuff during the pandemic, trying to get to concrete stuff. So I did a bunch of stuff during the pandemic. First, we stopped. We just stopped, and we did nothing. I tried new foods. I started like cooking for myself. I never cooked. Every meal I had before the pandemic was was bought. Wow. And so, every one of them, right? And that's crazy. And so, and so I started cooking and getting into cooking. And then I had friends who were like, yes, let's like even talk about a cooking show. And so we started developing a cooking show. And that just got me deeper into like, hey, uh, uh, this, this, is a, this is a really, you know, new skill. It's, it's an art, right? And I started enjoying the, the, the artistic uh, element of of uh, of cooking food, uh, I haven't mastered the artistic element by any means, but I was <laughs> able to get out there and like connect with people and go to events or restaurants and really enjoy a fine culinary experience. So that was like one of the elements. And then after things began to open up, instead of going back to work, I chose to help a friend um, with um, with his startup farm in Temecula, and um, he. He was doing Asian herbs, um, so like mint, peppermint, spearmint, something called fish mint, which is really weird, but big in, in like Asian cultures. Um, he was doing uh, uh, Asian herb called shizo, uh, Vietnamese coriander. Uh, all of these things were brand new to me too. And so, um, but what it was really was getting out of LA, getting out of the toxicity of, of this virus, and then also the toxicity of uh, having stuff over your face all the time and having to put new chemicals on your body every time you yeah. entered and exited anything. 
Um, and so it just wasn't like that on the farm. Like we got dirty with soil, you know, we yeah. didn't get dirty with like, we, we didn't get clean. <laughs> we got dirty, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really amazing. And then I also got, I think in some strange way, uh, reconnected with my native American roots, just being outside more. I'm an eighth native American. I'm uh, a part of a tribe in Alabama. Although I, I think, you know, I've been distant from that for so long and I do need to reconnect. Um, it's not a nationally recognized tribe, so I don't like get, I don't get like money or whatever, but like, but just being there and having the card was something that my family felt was really important uh, because my great grandmother was Native American. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so that was really, that was really uh, for six months or seven months we did that. And just every day, you know, getting up at 6 a.m., getting a, a, a Venti drip of coffee and as the sun came up, headed to the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we're taking a break in the middle of the day because it's so unbelievably hot, you know, you'll get heat stroke. One day I did get heat stroke and I had to lay down for an hour and a half. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. now I'm understanding not just, you know, uh, <laughs> what's going on on a, on a farm and in the land, it's a reconnection to something deeper in my soul. And it's also a deep respect for the people who do that on a daily basis. So I'm learning about food and I'm learning how the food gets to me, you know, in a real way. Right. Um, all of these things are contributing, obviously, uh, subconsciously to the future of whatever I'm going to do. But, and I don't know that that's actually paid off yet. But it, during the process, it was like, it was a removal from, like I said, all this stuff from the past, which was very Einstein drive, very numbers, schedules, and, you know, not so creative. This was a, a beautiful, creative environment, and I was reconnecting to something. Now that. I want to go back to something you said, because this is fascinating. So I just listened to a podcast, uh, and it was a guy interviewing someone who's been a farmer and an academic his whole life, like that pairing. And that's what he was talking about. He was kind of bemoaning the fact that the lack of physicality that exists in modern culture and the, the dearth of kind of vitality that that can create in you. And it's so interesting like to hear you talk about that because I know our history, we met, we met at film school and you were on the producing track. And so like you said, working with numbers, working with, with budgets, working with logistics and then kind of, you, you know, the, the creative filmmaking endeavor is impossible without someone doing that. But you were feeling that it wasn't, you know, fulfilling that creative drive that you found in you that sort of like resurfaced during the pandemic. And then add to that the physicality and the kind of reconnection to the earth uh, that you found on the farm has just kind of like, it, it sounds almost like a rebirth. Would you characterize it that way? 100%. Like I said, like the pandemic, all of these stories about the pandemic, which is not just lockdown, but like all the stuff we're going to discuss. It's like it, it, life didn't exist for me. Like I wasn't like, I wasn't alive before the pandemic. There was a bunch of stuff that happened before the pandemic. And that's great. You know what I mean? It's like, but just, just, just the prologue to like, who I'm becoming and what I am. And like, that's, that's, but that's almost like, you know, arrogant speak. It's, it's like, you know, it's just living. It's like actually taking agency of your life and saying, forget the past, forget the future. What is it right now? This very second, what makes me happy right now? Uh, and being in that moment every single day, even if you don't know what the next moment's going <laughs> going to be. And with this other, this other stuff, it was pretty much laid out. It's like, you know, like you go to work and you handle the logistics and all this kind of stuff. You're going to get into a union or you're going to work your way up in some way where you're, you know, you're going to be handed responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. And um, I hope I'm answering your question, yeah. but like it, it was, it was a complete uh, flip uh, in a good way, um, you know, from, from what was happening before. 
Um, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely, man. It just, it's fascinating to, you laid it out really well. Like I can see this kind of, I can almost see it visually. I, I haven't seen any of your drawing work yet, uh, but I'm fascinated to now knowing what's going on in your mind. to another question um i like and i've told you this i see you as this ideal early adopter like you seem to have a real openness that i don't have to like new technology new tools um and you you have this innate ability to connect them to what's already going on and even to connect them to the past i'm wondering you know was there a time in your life where that kind of surfaced or is it something just completely instinctive that you just have a talent for doing I'm fascinated by it, I have to say. So being a first adopter, I've heard this term uh, quite a bit, and I never labeled myself a first adopter. I was just always interested in whatever was out there. You know, but I have to give absolute full credit to my parents. Um, parents, you know, they were educators. So, of course, they're going to know what's going on. My, both of them were first you know, uh, somehow in sports and then teachers and then administrators. So they know teaching from top to bottom. And my mother was actually did two terms as superintendent of education in the county where I'm from. So, I mean, so, I mean, you know, top to bottom, she understands this educational system. And um, as you go up, you begin to branch out in the educational system to connect with other, you know, regions, other people in different areas that are, you know, doing the same job that you're doing. You go to these conferences, uh, they're all sharing information. They're all sharing the new thing that's out there. And so as a, as a you know, a fortunate son of uh, these people, they brought those things home and they they showed them to me and said, "Are you interested in this?" And I was almost kind of like a <laughs> like a first test subject for like, <laughs> should we should we introduce this to to, to our students? And so uh, it was an incredible experience. And you know, when I read uh, Machiavelli's The Prince and you know some of these other great books, I felt as though I was in this position as a child, right? Because mm-hmm. like. My mother and father knew um, the best educators in a 30-mile radius. And then they would, hello, that's my cat. Hi, baby. I know you want attention. She's, she's asking for attention right now. So, you know, to, to, to kind of summarize, you know, having educators as parents allowed me to, to be a first adopter, right? It allowed me to receive information first. Um, and they were always during the school year, you know, very busy, high expectations. And then during the summers, we didn't, I didn't get to slack off. Like they, they were either putting me in some kind of writing class or, you know, what we'd call like a magnet or enrichment, uh, uh, you know, program or, you know, so they were always doing that. They were always, let's, let's feed him as much knowledge as we can possibly feed him. Specifically my mother, you know, she sacrificed so much. I may get emotional if I talk too much about this, but like, 
you know, like she sacrificed so much in the process of uh, feeding me the arts, you know. Um, and so she would draw, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere in Alabama, Arley, Alabama, four ways to get out of, you know, <laughs> the city, <laughs> north, Man. south, east, and west. And three of those ways are over water. It's like a peninsula inside of the, uh, inside of Winston County. And wow. so, you know, anything, anything, it's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous man-made lake. Um, but the, the, you know, to get out, to, to do anything in the arts, uh, uh, to really learn and to access the, the, the best of the best, you had to like move, you had to go an hour and a half north or south to really find these things. And my mom would drive me after working all day, she'd drive me all the way up to Decatur, and, um, you know, stay with me and then drive me back in the evenings. So um, parents were the reason, I guess you could classify me as a first adopter yeah yeah well this is amazing to me um and this again first this is why i love talking to you and two this is why i love doing these interviews because i'm making so many connections i haven't been able to make before so i'm fascinated here then and maybe it's hard to quantify um looking back though sometimes we have more clarity there was a point at which you decided that you know with all this artistic instruction and, and early adopter kind of mindset you'd been given you thought i want to go to film school I want to make movies, and you kind of focused on producer as the way to do that. Can you remember what drove that decision? Because it's interesting that later you realize, like, no, this isn't what I want to be doing creatively. Like, what? How did that go? Right. Yeah, I've thought a lot about this. Um, if you know, while my mother was someone who, and and my father uh, were always people who who fed curiosity and uh, encouraged uh, first adoption. Like my father was the major proponent of uh, making sure life decisions were uh, in line with financial freedom mm. or financial security. And um, I think that that always weighed heavy on me. He was never forceful. He never said, you have to go here and you have to go there. He was actually the proponent who said, like, hey, Clay's getting a scholarship to Pepperdine, which is in California, 3,000 miles away from Alabama. You know, he's paying his defense, you know, to my mother for me was, you know, hey, he's paying half of his tuition to go out there to, in, you know, to liberal arts college. Like he defended me in the discussion of like, can I leave or not? You know, would I need to stay in Alabama? Would I need to, could I, could I go? And so, so again, he's always been someone who supported me, but, you know, he always firmly reminded me <laughs> that, that you're going to have to pay, you have to eat. And if you want a family, you're going to have to support them. And, and we're putting you, we're, my parents were amazing. They put me through college, you know, we're putting you through college, but you're going to have to put someone through college. You're, you can't just, you know, do whatever you want your entire life. You're going to have to be able to, you know, if you don't get it, you're going to have to buckle down and, hmm. and uh, make a living. And so that's always been something that, that um, he's, he's made sure was in the forefront of my mind. And so when I was making a decision, so first I went out to Pepperdine. I got an acting scholarship, and I was in the acting program. Huh. I did moderately well. Um, <laughs> I, I and never so, knew that. I never knew oh, really? that. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so, so I was an actor for four years. <laughs> huh. and, uh, oh, and I got a general, you know, all the, Pepperdine's a great school. Pepperdine's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Uh, undergrad's great. Um, it was wild because coming out from, you know, from Arleigh, Alabama to Pepperdine in Malibu, California, Baywatch was still on at the time. And I mean, that's where it filmed Zuma beach, you know, and you know, I mean, there were celebrities that were in my uh, college classes, you know? Uh, so 
it was a it was a trip. You know, Abercrombie and Fitch would come to the quad and like you know cast people for photo shoots. I mean, the people who went there were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it <laughs> was California, a trip. man. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was their California experience, which was for some is a spiritual experience. So, yeah, but, yeah. um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I came out here and I did that. And so that was a, a, but I didn't do a lot of the mainstream stuff. A lot of the, uh, the big stage, we had a couple different stages. And so the big stage stuff, you know, was what, where the big audiences were. I didn't do a lot of that stuff. I did a lot of the black box stuff, the smaller stage, the more intimate yeah. stuff. Which was more film acting, not big, not musicals, you know. So I landed pretty deep into that that world. And I also there was an intermural theater group that wasn't necessarily part of the scholarship uh, group or the theater major group. This was just people who wanted to uh, get out there and do theater. Maybe they were business majors, but they loved you know acting or writing or something. And so this my good friend of mine. T.J. Volgare, he created, he and a couple of other people created um, something called Cognitive Dissonance. And it was oh, yeah. all about, it was all about, um, you know, um, creating some kind of, uh, instead of just pre presenting entertainment, we want to cause you to think. We want to use new styles and different styles of uh, theater, um, you know, experimental theater to kind of engage you and to have you think about what's going on around you and so the traditional stuff through the scholarship was you know was fed into me and then this other thing which i joined which is cognitive dissonance was you know like this experimental stuff was was uh influencing me so anyway uh that happened first and then and then i got out and i realized <laughs> i don't really want to live the lifestyle of an actor like the life, <laughs> I, didn't under, I didn't understand i didn't understand what it meant to to live that lifestyle yeah, dude, that's um, hard work, man. It it is. It really is. Um, so so um, to my benefit or detriment, I was like, man, I don't I don't think this is the the path for me. And my father's voice was always like present during those decisions. And so, you know, the first thing I did, I was I became a massage therapist. Oh, yeah. um, I was certified, became a massage therapist. It was good money. Uh, I was working with my hands. I was in a chiropractic office, uh, clinical environment. And then I came to a point where I'm like, dude, what do I want to do? Like, I came in here to do the arts, but I'm like, you know, in, in the semi-medical field. So I said, uh, let's see if I can um, get into the business side of filmmaking. Let's turn our eyes back to that. So I was in Malibu. I was chatting with some friends at a coffee shop. And my buddy, Andrew, he wanted to be a writer. And then there was a person there who was in something called a mailroom. <laughs> Uh, yeah. agency <laughs> and he said oh you want to be a writer huh it's like i can get you a job you can work with me and he was like hmm let me think about that and then we came back a couple days later and i was like and he's like i don't think i'm going to take it man and I, I i said you know i would take it i'd really love to do that so uh so my friend bowed out and then i said yeah and then my the other friend got me a job at the paradigm mailroom yeah. And I, I started working there and I, you know, as they say, you know, you started learning the business of the business and, and um, just getting people coffee and delivering scripts, printing scripts, organizing things, doing coverage, that kind of stuff. And then yeah. got promoted and then got on a desk and got on a triple, a double desk, actually, which was really wild. But, I, you know, I specialized, I mean, didn't specialize, I, I worked for a guy in TV lit, I worked for a guy in TV, alternative TV, and then I worked for a lady in uh, TV talent. So I saw 
So primarily TV. I wanted to be in film, but these were open desks and I wanted to get promoted. So yeah. uh, what was beautiful about it is that I actually saw the season, a full season of television being made from an agency perspective. Dude, you know, we go a, through the valuable. right, right, exactly. So, you know, you, 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 you see, um, you see how the development works and what agents are engaging with who at that level. And then how, uh, you know, pilot season and how that happens. And back then it was upfronts and prime time. There wasn't any streamers. Um, and so that was interesting. And then finally when the pilots go and they get ordered, then, then TV talent, uh, activates and you try to like, you know, get people, uh, um, you know, on the shows as well as, you know, get people staffed and all that stuff. So, that was really that was really great. And then I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a suit. I don't want to like be representing people here again. I was like presented with the the choice of like, do I want to do the business side of things or do I want to be creative? And I actually thought, finally getting your question, <laughs> actually thought, you know, we engage with creative producers every day. You know, those were our clients mm-hmm. um, in in TV at least. And so um, someone encouraged me to go back to school. Um, and they said, uh, the Stark program is phenomenal for producing. And then there's this place called AFI, which is like the national school for, um, for, uh, for the arts and for filmmaking. And so that's why I chose producing because, um, I had some background in the business. I felt like I could handle that. And then also, um, my father, my father's words of, you know, you can make some money doing this. You can be one foot in creative and one foot in the logistics. Fascinating. And then it's fascinating that after you got out and then you, once you had that deep breath, that producing one foot in the creative, one foot in the logistics actually led to something that I'm guessing was basically only logistics. And that's why you realized, man, I got to make a change. Is that is that accurate? Or maybe that's where you ended up. Like, obviously the goal... And the, the dream was to be creative and logistical, but but mainly because it would allow you to, to make money and be creative. But as you <laughs> as you kind of progressed it, it really just you made money, but you weren't being creative, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like how you're trying to tie the two together. Uh the honest answer really is I didn't understand what the producer did. I just uh. knew that he was in charge. <laughs> he was in charge. I knew that that guy went up when best when Oscar when Oscar was handed out for best picture, the producer went up and the producer got the Oscar. Okay, yeah. so that's what I knew. I didn't is. really know what the what oh, the job was, and I didn't know that there were you know fifty different producers on a film. I just knew yeah. that there was one director and most of the time one writer. And yeah. Um, but you know, you saw all these producing credits. Well, there's a lot of opportunity there. I can do all kinds of different things. So, oh, um, man. you know, so, so, and then we, we, we learned what physical production was and all that kind of stuff. But my, my friend actually, who, uh, had created cognitive dissonance, he went to USC. Uh, he got into USC while I was going to paradigm. We, we lived together at the time. And so while, um, while he was, while I was, you know, doing the mailroom thing, he was doing these little, like, like our cycles. He was doing that in grad school. And he asked me one day, he was like, hey, can you help me? And I said, uh, yeah, what do I do? I can only do it on the weekends. And he said, that's perfect. I said, I want you to do something called produce. And I was like, okay, what does that even mean? And he just handed me tasks. I was effectively like his assistant. Uh, and he just said, hey, I need you to go and talk to this person. And hey, I need you to uh, see, they want this much money. See, we only got, I don't have that. Let's see if you can get them down. And so um, that was, I didn't, still, I didn't know if that was like a job I would want to do, but I like was trying to help my friend. 
And that's how um, that kind of came about, um, you know, at least leaning toward that. Fascinating. so many stories of people that uh you know i look up to and seem to have been incredibly successful and a lot of it comes from just kind of rolling with whatever life hands you uh and then finding a way to go forward which you're still doing which i think is great well so so now that you've gone on this journey and it sounds like an incredible journey and it sounds like there's a lot more detail even there that's hard to distill which is i guess like every human life do you feel like you have maybe a little bit of an outline of a target of, of where you want to be going forward do you see this life that you want in detail or is it more just silhouettes and shadows at this point and you're kind of just moving in one direction? It's a beautiful way to put it. I love the silhouettes and shadows because that's really, it is kind of like that. I know I want to be, the thing, the first problem to tackle is the problems that I want to encounter on a daily basis. Generally, jobs, jobs themselves are like someone has problems and they don't want to handle them. So you get paid <laughs> and they sign up, they sign up, they assign a cost to their problems, yes. you know, and then they hire you and you do them. So, yes. you know, and it's not a job if you love doing it. They're not problems if you love doing it. And so that was the realization that I made in the pandemic. And I'm like, okay, well, I'd love solving these problems, uh, these kind of creative problems. So let's see if I can actually make a, a base living solving these problems or at least get into a situation where I can supplement my income yeah. by, you know, let's make this, this try to make this transition um, to, to earning a little money, solving problems that I would already solve for free. Mm. Um, so the first thing is to tackle, to see if I can supplement my income doing things that I love. Um, and then at the same time, like I said, I'm kind of uh, simultaneously learning to draw because I feel like, you know, I love animation. I've always been pulled to animation. Um, uh, you know, as a kid, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was one of my yes. favorite. It was Dude. one of my favorite, classic. you know, uh, <laughs> movies. Yeah, classic M movies as well as um, as well as um, the comics and um, animation. And so, you know, just finding a way to go in that direction. Um, I love. Uh, arcane we discussed arcane oh, and dude. i think it's just totally next level and Divine, what's going man. on with animation right now adult animation is it's a revolution i mean as technology progresses we're able to output this stuff faster quicker cheaper i know it's not cheap to do any of it but you know like we're able to do that and we're able to tell these stories which really just are super difficult uh in the world of live action um you know so anyway uh, that's that's a direction that i'm going i'm kind of like dual du dual tagging it you know like uh like writing and then maybe I'll be able to uh, interest you know enter school again or learn how to uh, the, basically they're saying that if you want to be in animation you want to be in visual effects or if you want to do anything with computer graphics 
having a good solid foundation in drawing uh, and painting is really where to go. In fact, I was looking at this school called Noman, which is a three to two year program. The first year is the foundations of like traditional sculpting and, and drawing and all this kind of stuff. But you can test out of that first year uh, and not have to pay those tuition costs if you have enough understanding of, you know, 3D perspective, volumetric space, et cetera. And so, like, I'm doing that right now in preparation to potentially, if nothing else goes, to potentially learn more about visual effects, learn more about animation, rigging, you know, texturing, all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, at some point maybe merging that um, with storytelling. But I feel like those are the stories that I always connect with. Sci-fi is huge in animation, and you know, I love what's going on. I actually like the idea of Star Wars being purchased by Disney. Like, what oh, nice. is occurring here is like, you know, they have the money to pump an arena, pump an, a world uh, that everybody, many, many people love. And you're seeing all these offshoots, like Andor, and uh, you know, all these great stuff. I mean, I'm watching the animation visions. I don't know if you've seen visions, which is basically the love death robots of, uh, Disney, but it's all in the world of star Wars. And so they've got two seasons out now. It's incredible. Oh man. That I mean, great. I just, I love it. I really love, uh, what's going on there. Um, but that, I, maybe that gives you an indication of like the general direction. I guess I'm kind of, kind of going in. Absolutely, man. You, you'll laugh at this, but you know what it, you know who it makes me think of is Jack London. Do you know Jack London? Do you know his life story at all? I don't know his, li his life story. Okay, well, I'll boil it down to why you remind me of him in this moment. That dude was like the pure spirit of adventure. Like he he owned a little skiff that he would row out to pirate ships in the bay where he lived and like play cards with the pirates. Like the, the spirit of independence and the willingness to like carve his way into an uncertain future. But he knew who he was. He knew what he wanted to do. And he had this vitality to him and the courage mm. to do it. And I would say yeah. the wisdom to do it. Um, and he, and he, But he did love books and he did love, obviously he wrote, a very, very learned guy. But he, there was just something about him that he was like willing to strike out uh, in a direction, and that's that's what you're doing, man. And I think it's amazing. I, I, you know, the independence that you have in your life right now, the way you're using it is is thoroughly inspiring. So, I mean, thank you. I guess is what I would say. Thanks, man. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. When you're in the when you're in the thick of it, it's like it's not it's not a certain level of you 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 do experience independence because today I wake up and I get to say what I want to do. But uh, it's not um, you, 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 you're not at the level of cre absolute creative independence by any means. Um, so so yeah. But um, but thanks for saying that. Yeah, no, call no. of the wild. <laughs> yeah, dude, the call of the wild indeed. Ah, oh, such good stuff. And one thing I did want to ask you about because you and I love to kind of jaw about this um, AI, right? The future that is upon us. Um, it's been so interesting to hear you talk about AI and the potential that you see. So I'm curious, whereas so many people are afraid of AI, and I mean, the writers are striking against AI and, and you know, everyone's worried about it taking away jobs. Um, while I'm sure you see that potential, you are less afraid of it. And if there's a way you can kind of put a point on why that is, um, I think everyone would, I know, benefit to hear it. I, I know I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's inevitable. Like the inclusion of uh, tools that enhance our life, like that's it, it, we're going to do that. Um, so to, I think I've said this before to you, like treating a friend like an enemy. What do you think that the relationship is going to end up being? Mm. Um, you know, it, it's 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 inevitable. So we we need. I think we need to um, 
I don't know enough about, you know, the intricacies of these neural networks in order to say, hey, you know, this is the um, this is the problem that we need to anticipate and, uh, you know, shed some light on that kind of stuff. But I but I do know that, you know, we're we're treating this thing like another version of us. We're trying to get it to think like us. And so inherently there is bias in us. We have not been able to rid it, you know, rid, rid it from from ourselves. And so. You know, I went to this conference the other day and they were basically saying that, you know, uh, one, one aspect of regulation is that uh, these data sets that these neural networks are trained on right now, they're private and no one really knows how they don't they don't see the data sets. They don't know how Midjourney is trained. They don't know how, you know, Dolly has been trained on these pictures and all this. And this is just, a, you know, an objective, you know, example. But like we don't. I mean, I think you I think you were able to access some of this stuff, but it's not like absolutely transparent. Well, it may be this these data sets may actually be unknowingly biased. And so yeah. as we in you know, as we rear these children called AI, you know, we have to think about well how what what what's the good stuff that we want to put in there and what's the what's the 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 bad stuff we want to leave out. I think you would definitely identify with this as a as a father. Yeah. You know, I think we have to treat it like that. So, so you know, uh, I know people are uh, saying crazy things like, you know, we don't want Skynet <laughs> to happen. We don't want yeah. the Terminator situation to <laughs> occur, right? You yeah. know, and there's even these major proponents, including OpenAI, which is a leader in the field. They're they're saying, hey, you know, regulators, please become aware of this now. Don't see this as a nascent industry. Look to how we can work together on on how to uh, build, you know, legal railways to to innovation, but also eliminate some of the things that are not so great about us, you know, yeah. and also um, help this thing grow and be our friend as opposed to it being an enemy or even teach it, even in, interject yeah. the thought that 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 we're an enemy some way or we could hurt it in some way. Yeah. So. You know, these are like big level, you know, this is high level thinking and it's kind of far away from what I do, which is just engage with, you know, the text of image stuff and trying to make, you know, some art piece or whatever, or even, you know, try to write a book with, you know, some of this text to text stuff. But, but I mean, you know, I think that that's the worry and the concern. And I just really wish people, you know, we talked about arrival mm. and I think that is totally applicable here. Um, you know, you you know the the storyline of Arrival, but the 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 key, the 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 key difference and the 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 key difference in whatever the aliens were offering humanity was, you know, the difference this language difference, which one interpreted as weapon and one interpreted as tool, and um, we I think we really need to see it as a tool. Uh, it's difficult, just like just it's really difficult for me to get on this uh, you know <laughs> um, this podcast and like yeah. be able to speak and like you know like you know, uh, put myself in an awkward position on purpose, right? I'm yeah. putting myself in an awkward position on purpose. And I think maybe some of us need to engage with this uncomfortableness early on, and that will help us grow to a place um, where we can where we can engage with this stuff as opposed to totally banning. Now, I understand the writers and, and wanting to uh, interject themselves now. I think that's a really smart idea. But I was trying to think of a way to uh, to analogize, you know, maybe uh, a way of uh, handling these negotiations. Uh, technology, say, for example, you know, shipping and, and dock and, and, and you know, just the shipping industry, right? There's all kinds of regulations involved in the shipping industry. There's 
unions at every single dock. There are unions that handle this stuff. Massive machinery moving the you know the the containers off of the off the ship and onto the land. Uh, a set of people doing that. A set of people who are trained to do that. A set of people who are certified to do that, and they are safer because of that training and certification which was required, and we are all safer because of the training and certification that is required. And so uh, it's very organized, very, you know, very, very straightforward, and everybody understands their role in this process, as opposed to completely banning these m- mechanics that, that move these containers on <laughs> and off these major ships. Someone said, let's work with it. It's, it's valuable. Let's figure out a way to do it safely and minimize risk. And so I just kind of wish that we could Think of it in these terms, like even, you know, going to its fullest measure, like training writers to work with AI in set in studio settings where the studios want to expedite the process. There's a union representative that is the uh, the supervisor of the process. You know, that's a new position that be, that can be created, a new training model that can that can happen for for people. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, that a writer thinks of every single thing and writes every single word. Now, maybe that's going to totally put me at odds with with WGA <laughs> and you, and you're going to hopefully you'll cut that out if it like if it, uh, if it nope. hurts me. But I'm like trying to think of a way, you know, because these again, these things will help us spend more time doing the things we want to do and less time doing the things we don't want to do. And I and 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 just looping back to the thing that that I was saying earlier about jobs, it's like I don't want to be. Uh, performing a job i want to be being creative and i think that that's what what ai is going to actually empower us to do yeah dude no i love that i i think it's it's such a healthy perspective to interject into the conversation because it's the normal human uh, response of fear i think is is really at play on uh, power mm-hmm. dynamics between studios and writers or sorry companies and writers um yeah. I think it's a refreshing perspective, and I don't hear a lot of people say it, which is why I wanted to let you talk about it, because I, I think you have uh, such a hopeful outlook on it and, and some wise words uh, for everyone to kind of at least put in the mix, which I think is smart, because I think you're right. I think it's inevitable. So how do we go forward? And speaking of going forward, uh, we're getting to the end of our time here. I want to respect your time and the listeners' time. So there's a couple questions we always love to kind of hit at the end. Uh, first, I love how reflective you are. I love the way that you see the world and the way you're always, you know, especially now kind of living a considered life. What role, I mean, if any, does a kind of faith or spirituality play in this journey that you're on as a creator, innovator, storyteller? Is there any particular kind of um, body of thought that you access regularly, or is it really just trying to keep an open mind and stay present kind of in general? It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, um, well, faith broadly, faith is a base mechanism for, for human existence. I mean, I'm sitting in a chair and I believe that the chair won't fall because I have faith that, <laughs> that it's going to hold yeah. me. Maybe yeah. some, maybe someone has come in and unscrewed the, the, the wheels on this or, you know, <laughs> My butt setting in it is actually going to be the last time the, this thing can hold my butt. But, <laughs> but I have faith. I have faith that the thing's going to hold me. So as a base mechanism, I think we just op- we have to have it to, to operate. Um, I think what you're really getting at is like, does my connection to a higher being um, 
find its way into into my creative work um you know uh and not about my daily walk but specifically about the work and i think yes it does i have been influenced heavily um you know by uh being from the south being in the bible belt and um it it it's it's there some of the best stories in the world are i think from the bible and i think that's a testament to why uh you know it's one of the best selling books in in the world um but you know i think you have to understand uh god or a higher being as a device in story it's something that if you don't understand it you may you may it may be to your detriment i think that you know stories from the beginning of time we've always seen something beyond we've always seen something greater than us and we pull from this place a certain message or uh, a um you know a collection of ideas um it's an archetype right and so uh to miss it is to miss a lot and and to miss probably a connection to a greater audience so i think you you know your personal walk and the way that you handle yourself on a day-to-day basis just with your higher being if you have one is uh is can, it needs to you need to understand the separation between your daily walk and the 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 actual element in story if you're a story if you're a story maker story crafter you know uh you have to and 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 in that you know you can release yourself of the guilt or responsibility to interject your own opinions about a higher being and you can use it for what it is in the story you're able to relate to more people if you're able to understand it as a device um so that's that's the way I view it. I, I mean, and I struggle with that for a long time and how to actually tell people who are in my community that really just see the higher being as a way of life, as a path, as a, uh, a walk, you know, it's a, it's, it's almost everything. It's a pillar of the community. It's how we connect. It's the reason why we come together three times, the doors are open, you know, like that's the place that I was from and to tell them, well, yeah, but I understand it in a different way. is a, is, is a little, it's is difficult sometimes. Um, but maybe you want to say something about the human experience that doesn't necessarily involve a Christian perspective. So you're going to need to understand how we relate to, uh, something, something greater, greater than us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it makes its way in to what I do. Yeah, no, that's good stuff, man. I, I always struggle with that myself, uh, how to, how to make something more universal. And obviously I think, you know, there's universal connections uh, among all these ideas and among all these, these realities that we can't see. So thank you, man. So cool. So good to talk about. Uh, as always, we'd like to end with one question for you. You've already dropped a lot of wisdom on us, man, and it's uh, been great stuff, but is there any last wisdom that you'd like to leave with the listeners? Any kind of like tidbit that you want to say, Hey, take this forward with you. It'll do you good. Man. I mean, the most influential piece of advice came from joseph campbell which is follow your bliss and that's really where i'm at right now um just trying to figure out what it is on a daily basis so following your bliss doing what you love you never work a a day in your life i think that's uh i think that's been crucial to my understanding of my life love it man thanks for that dude thank you for everything thank you for your time thank you for this gift to uh, me and to the audience man there's a lot of great stuff in here and i know it'll do a lot of people good as they listen to it and that's why we do this uh, it's so much fun to have different people, different perspectives, different experiences, because those connections that we can make uh, bring us all up, man. That's what I think. So thank you again so much for coming on, Clay. Can't wait to get this out to people. Oh, boy. 
<laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate the uh, invitation. Absolutely, dude. Well, we'll talk to you soon, brother. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Bye-bye. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Great insight from Clay and, of course, Mr. Joseph Campbell. Follow your bliss. What you enjoy, what brings you to life, that creative endeavor, in whatever field and whatever medium it is that lights you up is, I think, and I think Clay would agree, a beacon that you should mark on your map and keep your eyes on and walk toward constantly as much as you can. I believe we were meant to live full lives. And that bliss that I think is a gift given to each of us has to be a part of that. Thanks, Clay. That's great stuff, man. And if you agree, please do subscribe and share, rate and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It really helps people find the show and experience the amazing insights of the guests that we have here at the Ramble Room. And if you loved it so much that you feel compelled to support in a concrete way, just hit the last link in the show notes. It says support. You can click through and find some ways to do that. If you want to reach out to me, whether to be a guest or suggest a guest or you know, just say hello, you can head to revenantalien.com contact. I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, and Medium. Just search at a revenant alien and look for the logo. I'm not that hard to find. And as always, if you're in a pause or coming out of one and trying to figure out what your future might be and whether there's a beacon out ahead of you that you can head towards, I hope you'll visit revenantalien.com searchers. It's just my thoughts and experience on the subject. But having found a beacon myself, I like to share it whenever I can. So I hope it helps. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't be a stranger. Godspeed. And I'll see you next time. Here at the Ramble Room. Thank you.